Thank you for listening to the Troy Podcast, where we promote, educate, inspire, and entertain creators of all things related to fantasy and science fiction. Hi, this is Carson with Troy, and I have with me Brian Asher. He is uh, both a fantasy and science fiction author. His science fiction book, The Treasure of Lore Rev, um, is out, as well as the fantasy book, The Assassin, the Assassin of Malcose. Is that how you say both of them? I, I, you got it. You got it. <laughs> I kind of want to, I almost want to do the R.A. Salvatore thing where he intentionally let people mispronounce it because then it got people talking and arguing about his books. So, Oh, yeah. And there's lots of fantasy books like that. Um, my son has, has been reading The Way of Kings. Oh, and, yeah. You know, you have, uh, I don't know if you've read it, but there's a character named in the audiobook that I've listened to a couple times. It's Yasna, but he's just mm-hmm. read it. And so he's been calling it Jasna calling her jasna and so yeah i get it so um brian go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you okay um i'm brian asher like you said earlier i'm a fantasy and sci-fi author um i'll use my visual aids here so all my books they take place in the same interconnected universe you can kind of see if you look close these little floating islands there so all of them take place in different uh intercontinents so they're these big floating nations And because they're all different, it allows me to go into different genres, which is why I've been able to do uh, sci-fi and fantasy uh, standalone stories in the same interconnected universe. So what was the genesis of your stories? Uh, I grew up uh, a huge reader. I don't know if I was the best reader, but (laughs) I read a lot, uh, mostly graphic novels. I think you kind of see behind me, there's a lot of comic book stuff. Um, but I grew up with, you know, sort of that nineties craze of uh, X-Men and Spider-Man and Batman. And so I really got into the idea of these characters that had these sort of otherworldly powers. As I got older, I eventually got into fantasy, which I think I was kind of late, surprisingly. I don't think I really started reading a lot of it until maybe 2014 or so. Um, I got really interested in, um, the Ari Salvatore books I mentioned, and then, um, Elric of Melnabone. It's like an older uh, pulp fantasy, sword and sorcery story. Uh So, And then I read Way of Kings as well, really big into Sanderson stuff. Uh, So I started catching all these books that I was like, this is almost um, a literary like graduation of what superheroes could do. And I always was a fan of sci-fi in general. They're pretty close to superhero stuff. So for me, when I decided to write, I was like, I can't draw, so I won't be able to do a graphic novel. (laughs) So I was like, I got to just write my own books. Uh, so I decided that I wanted to make my own, you know, universe and, and tell my own stories. And then when it came to my books, I don't know if any of your audience has seen them yet, but they, they tend to be fairly thin. I keep them around 250 to 270 pages, uh, because I want them to be standalone stories that people can just grab, pick up, and they don't have to worry about like getting them in a certain order. They can just grab any one they want based on the way they feel and just enjoy them. So that was kind of my genesis for creating it. Perfect. So as you were going through, running through ideas, like what, what were you kind of looking for as you were creating the ideas for this world? Uh, well, the first book was also a learning experience and I knew that going in. Um, but what I wanted to do was tell a fantasy story using sort of different character tropes, but being able to combine those characters. So I thought, you know, you kind of have like the sort of the aging mercenary, you kind of end up having a lot of times like a young boy with new powers. And then a lot of times you'll have sort of like a a princess or like a a feminine royalty character who's trying to figure out who she is. So the genesis for my first book was how do you 
create a storyline with all those characters that moves quickly um and then you know what unites them and so i that's where the assassin comes in is he has this plan to kill the king his whole plot ends up uniting these characters completely unwittingly from completely different areas uh, and that was the genesis for for that book so nice and you talked about tropes and even though tropes get used a lot it doesn't mm-hmm. mean that they can't still be fresh no. And so if you can find a way, if you're a new author or even, you know, graphic novelist or or whatever, just because Mm -hmm. something's been done before. I mean, we've seen the Luke Skywalker trope a million times, but (laughs) if you can figure out a way to to make it fresh and still resonate with people, it can still be a fun story. I I think sometimes the word trope gets misused because it assumes that anything in that category is bad. But like you said, I mean, there's different ways to do it and every character is unique. And really to me, when I think of a a trope, I think more of a a storytelling idea, right? There's different ideas you can use for stories, whether they're a setting, a character or a plot. And so I look at it as like, I enjoyed, you know, Wolverine from the X-Men. I enjoyed these, like, you know, as as a young boy, I liked these characters that were these like male characters that knew who they were, that had, you know, a law and order to them, um, had a morality uh, and sort of, you know, walked to their own path. And I wanted to have that sort of like legendary character that people look up to. But what I thought would be cool is what happens when that character is not at the end of his life, because a lot of times they'll go, okay, this guy reaches like his point and he gets killed heroically. What happens when that character reaches the end of his career? What does he do? What happens to this guy who thinks, you know, he's chasing the last piece he can get to, but it may be unattainable. It may not even be real. Where does this person go? So I think that, you know, like we said earlier, there are ways to take a trope and really do something fresh with it. And also, if you give a character a real voice, it doesn't matter if it's a trope or not. If that character feels real, people will find a way to like latch on to that character's voice. Mm-hmm. You mentioned setting. Uh, what was the genesis from the setting where there's these floating continents basically that's kind of connected oh i gotta give a shout out to a longtime friend of mine he's actually my first friend like in kindergarten he could draw and i could write so we had always kind of wanted to make uh graphic novels together unfortunately life gets in the way Mm -hmm. (laughs) you have kids jobs everything and so timing just didn't work out for us but we had always talked about if we made our own uh universes that had these floating nations and the idea that you could have essentially almost like a, a egg atmosphere with all these different little floating continents inside of it, and each one would allow you a unique location. Um, and so we had talked about that, and you know, he even talks about you know maybe doing something in like a parallel place, and you know down the road maybe we cross over. But it was it was a genesis of honestly sitting in a library together, and and talking about it. And so when I decided to make my own books, I was like I really need to do an homage to something that my friend and I. Uh, had talked about forever um so that was the the genesis of that is just having a really cool chat with somebody that you respect their imagination um and we kind of came to that conclusion together and this is my spin on on that nice so So, as you write um are you an outliner are you uh just a like a pantser they they call them pantsers (laughs) like what, what is your writing style that yeah that's a unique one so now that i've written two books i can actually say i have a writing style now because <laughs> the first one it's you know you're just kind of trying to figure out how to complete it which was which was a really cool like experience um i would say my style is generally what will happen is i'll have 
a storyline style idea. For instance, uh, my second book, you know, I really enjoy treasure hunt stories. Um, so I thought I really want to do a treasure hunt story in a science fiction setting, like in a futuristic setting uh, where people are searching after technological artifacts rather than what you see a lot where it's like ancient earth artifacts. Uh, and so I took that idea and I was like, what generally happens? You have a traveler, a best friend, uh, someone who joins them along the way who's involved. And then usually, you know, the villain who's running in parallel to them to the same result. And so once I had that idea in my head, what I'll usually do is I'll write the intro chapter for each character, even if I put those chapters, like if I move them around in the order of the manuscript, I'll basically start and I'll write the intro. So that way I'm learning this character's voice without trying to like tell the character who I want it to be. I'll just, I'll feel my imagination really stretch and this character will start telling me who they are rather than me trying to like insert what I'm hoping the story does. Mm -hmm. And then once I have those characters down, then I actually will build an outline of like, okay, because I'll always have an end in mind, but I'll just kind of build um, an, an outline of like, okay, here's sort of like the rising and falling action, the beginning, middle and end. And then once I have that outline with the kind of specific, like, mo like it's more moments rather than like very detail, I'll just sort of write each chapter of those moments. And I've had moments where you know, certain things I thought would happen at one point happened later because as I was writing it, I'm like, it doesn't feel right to have this happen now. It needs to happen later. So it's sort of a mix of, of outlining and also like feeling the story begin to tell itself, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. It's kind of like a skeleton where you're trying to, to fill in the muscle and everything as you, as you go along. Yeah. So do you begin with the kind of an overall, like I want, like you said, a treasure hunt. And then what mm. tropes or what characters fit in there? Or do you have characters first that you go, okay, how can these characters work best in a story? Like what's your process of creating a story? Uh, I would say that for the first book, I created the characters and then I created the story. Um, because I, I had these ideas of, of these characters and then the storyline came out of that. The second book was almost the opposite of my, I had a storyline and I knew the type of characters I wanted, but then I had to go and, and make those characters and like breathe life into them. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of interesting to have two books that had kind of sort of almost polar opposites um, in the way that that process began. But I, I guess not to be wishy-washy, but I've done both. Um, and it's based on whatever the book and, and the type of story I'm trying to tell it makes sense for. So. This is good because you have done both. Do you have one style that you prefer? Ooh, that's interesting. That's a kind of a loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> I would say, I mean, obviously, the more you do it, the more experience you get. So I would say when I did it the second time and I had an idea and I was able to kind of like, I knew sort of the type of characters and then I breathed life in, into them. To me, it worked better because I was able to keep the plot, the pacing, everything I felt was much better focused um, and again, that's experience. You get better each time. Um, and so for me, I, I felt the second way worked better for me. And as I'm crafting, I'm already starting my third manuscript because I'm trying to release one book a year. That's sort of my, I feel like that's a, a fair pace for me to set for these stories. Um, it It's definitely gone the same route where I've had more of like an idea of the characters, but once I knew exactly the type of story I wanted to tell, then those characters sort of like breathed life into themselves because that story has to be told through certain voices. Mm -hmm. So 
you said one book a year. What? How long did it take you for your first book to, to do? <laughs> Definitely more than a year. Um, I It was an off and on project. I started it in earnest probably like maybe three or so years before I launched it. Um, I just was honestly, it's, it's such a weird thing. I still remember it. I went to my parents' house because I was waiting to meet my mom. Uh, we were going to grab coffee or something. And I remember just sitting down, opening a Google Doc and being like, I'm bored. I want to make a character. And I created Oros, who is my first character. Um, and I wrote sort of an intro chapter for him. Obviously, there, you know, a lot changed from that, you know, piece of work to what he became. But I just sort of had this genesis of the type of character I wanted to have. Um, and so for me, it was like over the course of the next like two, two, three years or so, I just kept plugging away and writing more and more and more. And then once I actually had a completed manuscript, then it took me maybe like a month or so of like really like diving in and editing it. But I would say a couple years for the first one. This is good for new authors because a lot of authors see, especially nowadays, people are putting out books, you know, one a month or one every couple months. And yeah, it's, it's difficult and it's hard, but for those that want to write a book and stick with it, um, that your, your story is fantastic because it it shows that persistence pays off. Yeah, it it is a a battle of persistency for sure. Cause I know, I, I remember I got really serious about it after my daughter was born and my wife was like, you need to just get this done or else, you know, as she gets older, you're just never going to do it. And I was like, you're right. Um, so basically that summer, which was 2020, I just put my nose down and I grinded. And I, I think when I started, I maybe had like, I don't know, 80 or so pages of, of the manuscript done for the rough draft. And I completed the remainder, which I finished about like 250 or so pages in about two months. Like I was writing every day, nonstop, every free moment I had. Um, and so for me, like I always tell people, because people would come up to my booth, like when we we're at Fan X and they're like, how do you do it? How do you finish a book? And I said, honestly, there's, there's a few big things. One, you know, don't think that anything you write is set in stone. You can always edit it later, but just get your manuscript done. Because once you teach yourself how to complete a manuscript, I couldn't believe how, I don't want to say easy because it's never easy, but I couldn't believe how much easier it was to complete the second one once I had created that muscle in my brain that knew how to reach that end goal you know it's like once your brain knows how to do it it's much easier because you've achieved it um so I would say just keep pushing forward and if you feel like it's bad it's not set in stone and you can always adjust it I made huge adjustments to my manuscript uh once I started really writing heavily because there were elements of it that didn't work you know don't be afraid to get rid of a bad idea if it's not working and it needs to change and you can feel it, make that change. I mean, as long as you save all the documents, you're never going to lose anything. So that would be my advice to people who are really wanting to get it done and haven't quite done it yet. So putting a book out a year, it's a challenge. and It's it's not an easy thing. What are some of your writing habits? Uh, well, it's interesting now because I have a daughter. She's almost two. And then I've should my son should be around in march so i got another kid on the way congratulations um but luckily i have a partner who really um respects my journey for this and really allows me the opportunity to get it done but you have to be able to sit down and get it done so you have once you start a manuscript it's more of like putting those blocks of time together and even if you don't have large chunks of time if you just tell yourself okay every you know week 
like to me, I do it more by chapters than time. So I'll say like once it gets re once the manuscript really gets going and I know where I'm going, because it takes a little bit of churning through that like almost mental fog of like where is the story really grabbing me. Once you have it and it's set and you're ready to go, you know, to me, it's like I'll, I'll be like, OK, I'm getting at least one like moment, whether that's multiple chapters or not. I'm getting like one moment done like every half week or once it gets close to the end, you know, one moment every week. And so it's like each piece of that outline that I create starts to get ticked away and I just make little check marks. And then, you know, it kind of allows me to sort of get that like excitement, that steamroll of like you keep seeing further and further how you're going and it just builds on itself and creates a snowball. So you said you wanted to create short books that people can still read. I mean, not that they're 20 pages short, but you know, people <laughs> yeah. can, can read them fairly quickly. Um, how do you, keep control of your pace to where it doesn't bloat on you. Like, do you have like a word count goal that for each book that, okay, I want to stick within 70 to 80,000 words uh, for the book. Or, um, are you just like, okay, this chapter, even though it's good, it doesn't pertain to the story. So I have to cut it. Like, how do you maintain that pace to have, um, a quick, you know, short novels? Uh, yeah, that's, that's a really good question. Um, I've definitely had stuff I've had to cut. I've had, not so much in chapters, but paragraphs. I definitely have paragraphs where I'm like, this is really beautifully written, but it doesn't need to be there. It's hard to let those go. But, you know, I've definitely seen that where I'm like, I remember um, actually in my second book, I have, uh, what happens is there's a character who's doing research and he's going back and reading these old uh, interviews of um, this guy who interviewed all these great technological uh, inventors and people who are really involved in the tech industry as he's trying to find out where this treasure is. And there were paragraphs that I had in those, like they're basically like newspaper articles is how I actually like put them out. And so it shows they look like it. Um, and what ended up happening was there were pieces in the preamble and I had a preamble before he interviews people, but pieces in the preamble that were just a little too flowery that didn't pushed the story forward enough and almost created some continuity errors. But I really loved how they were written. But I just remember as I was getting feedback from some of my uh, test readers, it just didn't fit into the grand scheme of things. And so I had to let that go. Um, so that's definitely a part of keeping it short. But also I would say that um, the type of stories I'm telling are stories that work better in um, that shorter page count. And I look at it more from a page count than a, than a word count. Um, and when I structure, once I get going and I structure my outline, I basically create an outline and I can tell within that outline kind of, it's almost a feeling versus like a hard deadline. Um, but I can tell generally with my outlines, like that this is going to stay within that page count. And the way I write my chapters, it's not total like goosebumps, cheesy cliffhanger, but there are some of those. And so, you know, being able to write in that style it just tends to put me in a place where I can kind of feel that I'm keeping my page count down. It, it's sort of weird. It's kind of nebulous, but it, it really is almost a feeling. So. so what challenges have you come across that you didn't expect as you're writing these two books? Oof. <laughs> That's a good question. Um, I mean, I've definitely, I've definitely had moments where I realized that there needed to be big changes after I had people read it. Um, and not like, huge to the storyline, but changes that I just didn't see coming. Um, those were a big challenge because when I was newer and doing revisions on the first book, it was a bit harder because it was hard to like shift gears. 
Um, but definitely with the second book, it's gotten a lot easier to be like, and, and now as I start this third one, like, okay, this isn't working. I'm going to, you know, abandon this and move over. But that was definitely hard uh, early on, you know, when I started was, you know, sort of letting these things go that really aren't serving a purpose, even though you put in those man hours, you know, you put in that time to make it. And so it can be really hard to let go. But I would say that was, you know, a big one. And also, um, the early stages when it's kind of like my brain is sort of grinding through the fog and figuring out like where the true story is, it can get really tough. I know even with this third book, as I was plotting it out, um, it's, you know, I'm still writing it, but when things were not developing in my brain and I wasn't having those aha moments with the plot or with the characters, it, it was somewhat discouraging of like, man, have I like, am I not going to be able to tell this story? Do I need to try and tell a different story? Um, but, you know, as I continued to work through it, I was like, no, I've, I've got this. I know the story I'm going to tell. It's just sometimes it, the fog doesn't clear as quickly as you'd like. So you are an independent author. What are some of the challenges for that that you've came across? Cost. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, you know, it's it, everybody kind of has a different... Um, idea of, of what their books are as an independent author because it's like you have this product essentially um for me when i created my books you know I'll, I'll show you here but like you know i i did fully illustrated covers that cover the whole front and back for for both of them um you know and i hired you know professional illustrators i have um you know in each book there's like multiple illustrations throughout but that was important to me because I, I'm a big graphic novel fan. I think that books that have more visual content are more appealing to a modern audience. And so that was a, that was a really hard part was basically, you know, saving the money because, you know, I'm still working while I'm doing this, but saving the money to put together to build a product that I think looks professional because even though I'm independent, I don't want someone to look at my book and go, oh, that's just some indie book. I don't trust it because I'm used to going to a bookshelf in Barnes and Noble and seeing all these things that kind of you know, I've built a trust on because, you know, they have this high production. So I still wanted to have a high production and, uh, you know, basically diving into the weeds, hiring my own artists, uh, working with editors on revisions, tracking down beta readers. Um, you know, you're really a, a self-owned business and you're in charge of every facet of it, but I honestly love it. I mean, having a publisher would be cool. I definitely would never uh, rule out that option. But at the same time, it's really awesome being a new author and knowing like I have full control of this and it's going to look as great as I'm willing to make it. Um, and so it's been cool to basically take every step, you know, learning how the covers get formatted and having to do cover format revisions myself, you know, changing files, uh, sizing files, you know, there's so many different things that I'm doing because I'm controlling all those hats. But at the same time, it's exciting to gain that experience and get to be able to say down the line, let's say if I do go through a publisher, like I have all this experience being able to do all these things as an author that maybe another author who came straight in wouldn't have. Like I love marketing my own material. I love going to the conventions and getting to meet people and see their eyes light up when I'm telling them about this universe and explaining to them this product I've created and they see the artwork and my characters are real, you know, and they're on this you know, real piece of art that you can see. To me, that's that's been really exciting as a self-published author is being able to not only have that control, but to see it come to life and know that it came from you and your hard work. 
So let's talk about your illustrator. How did you go about finding? So I, so I have two illustrators I've worked with. Uh, the first, his name's Emilis, and he did my covers, and he also did each of um, my individual characters. So that's that's these guys here. So he did all the main characters for my books, and he did all the covers, which I showed you earlier. Um, I found him on ArtStation. So there's a website called ArtStation. If you're looking for artists, it's great because you can go through and search or look for different art that really inspires you. It puts their email address and it says, you know, here's what I'm looking for. And so you find people who are looking for freelance, you know, work and, and you're able to email them and, and get back to them. And uh, I was lucky that, you know, Emilis uh, was so professional. I mean, I, I was very fortunate to work with somebody who had already done a lot of professional art and was, you know, extremely talented and very quick, um, but also it was very high quality. So that was my first. And then on my second book, I sort of wanted to do things bigger and better than the last from the illustration perspective. So I, on the treasure hunt, every time they go to a unique location, there's a new uh, illustration of a piece of scenery. So I put my bookmarks in here. <laughs> so every time they go somewhere new, it has, you know, a new, a new scene for them to go to. And so it just kind of adds a little bit of spark for the reader's imagination. So the person who did that, his name's Cy Gardner. He's from the UK um, and he was really talented. And I was very lucky to work with him because he was able to take, you know, I had 13 different locations I needed and he was able to make 13 very unique illustrations that all have, you know, a different sort of camera point of view and a different uh, perspective and um, a different feel. They all do feel very unique and very authentic to the city that they're representing. And I wanted to show that in the book that, you know, for this, this place, Lower Rev, it's the biggest intercontinent. It's the most technologically advanced. It's this huge metropolis. And so I wanted people to be able to kind of have a little visual spark of like how, you know, diverse these different places truly are. Um, so it was really cool. And I was very lucky to work with him. He did incredible work. Um, and he's still doing freelance art. Emilis, unfortunately, isn't. So sadly, for my third book cover, I, I don't know if I'll be able to uh, convince him. I'm going to try and convince him to, <laughs> to do it, to complete it. But we'll see. But yeah, through uh, basically online, both of my artists are nowhere near me in Washington State. But, you know, somehow through the magic of the Internet, I was able to find incredible artists. No, this is amazing because we live in such a world where it is so much smaller and people can connect from all around the world, you yeah. know. Your artists are from the UK and Lithuania. I've talked to people whose artists are from Russia or the Philippines. Like, it's just amazing where we can reach out and find good quality art from yeah. everywhere. In fact, I talked to an artist who doesn't do freelance so much because for his quality of work, um, it would be so much more expensive than for somebody oh, in the yeah. Philippines to do it because the cost of living is so much lower yeah. over China or, you know, somewhere else in the world. So um, I guess if you're in the States or Canada or, or somewhere, it's kind of, and you're a freelance artist, it can be kind of hard, but at the same time, yeah. it does open opportunities for, for other people in the world. So it's kind yeah, of a catch-22. So um, you talked about editing. How did you, how did you find an editor that would work uh, for you um, as far as do a good job and, and not just how do you find a good professional editor being an independent author? I mean, there are a couple ways you can go about it. Obviously there are online portals that can find it. I was fortunate enough. And again, you know, like I said, cost is a huge thing for, you know, being an independent author and 
starting out, I was lucky that I had people in my life who had done, you know, a lot of editing. And so I would say when it comes to editing, I sort of have three people that really do it. Um, and they all had professional experience editing. One of them was in marketing. Uh, one of them was actually um, someone who did freelance writing. So they understood what an editor was looking for. Um, and so luckily I was able to tap a lot of my social circle to help me, um, you know, try and, and keep things from getting, you know, too expensive because uh, it can be, but there are definitely online portals. I obviously recommend, you know, trying to find one if you don't have one in your immediate circle. But that was one thing where I was very fortunate in that I had people in my, in my circle who had previous experience. Otherwise, if I didn't have those people in my life, I would definitely be online uh, searching for people through um, different portals that they offer. I know like even a manuscript wish list, which is a place where you can submit your manuscript to agents. They have people on there who even talk about, you know, they do uh, manuscript read throughs and provide feedback. Uh, so there are definitely a ton of ways, again, through the internet, you know, yeah. to, to take care of that. So you're pretty fortunate that you already had these people in your life. Very. <laughs> <laughs> so, and after you have a, a good product, you know, you have to sell it. You know, yeah. some, some people might want to write a book and, and not sell it, but I think most do. Like, how do you stay up on marketing and how do you promote yourself? Uh, I mean, obviously a lot of people use social media. I'm, it's different for me. I'm not a big social media guy. I only have Instagram because I feel Instagram is, is a pretty positive place. It's not overly political and people just kind of share, you know, positive vibes. And that's, you know, where I tend to be is, and also, you know, it's, it's driven visually, which I'm sharing a lot of the pictures of my art, pictures of my book covers, pictures of me in events. Um, so that's sort of the way I keep up to tabs. I also have a website. Um, I put a lot of work into that. Uh, and that website, you know, is just a, it's a landing point. I know most people don't use websites as much as social media, but it's very easy. You know, when you, I, like I made business cards and people can look on it and go, okay, this has his contact card, his email, you know, links to the books, links to social media. So it's sort of a, a landing pad that people can find. And as a self-published author, I make sure that that, you know, website is very quick and accessible and it, it's everything like you need there. It's not, you know, there's not a ton of stuff. There's not a ton of like floating banners. It's, it's, it's professional, but it's it's simple enough that people can find exactly what they're looking for. Um, and then obviously 2020, I launched my first book then, but there wasn't really much I could do as far as like getting into bookstores or, or meeting with people or signings. It was sort of, it kind of put me in a position where I had to think of new ways to do it. Um, but ultimately now that things are opening up, like I'm, you know, setting up a lot of conventions. I went to Fair City Comic Show in Tacoma, Washington. I'll be at Emerald City Comic Con, which is like the second or third biggest Comic Con. Um, and I'm continuing to reach out and build signings because for me, I could buy ads, a ton of ads on Amazon, and I could try and flood readers with ads. And there's nothing wrong with that because you're trying, you know, you're a, you're a pebble amongst gravel as far as the amount of people that can put this content because it, it's free to be able to put your book, you know, self-published on these platforms. So my big thing is I want to get out in front of people as much as I can. And that, and my first experience at FanX blew me away when I could tell people about my books you know i i went in thinking hey i'm new there's a ton of competition maybe i'll sell a few books i i sold out of everything i had um which was really exciting and Fantastic, so to me it yeah. said like if i can you know get in front of people and i can tell them about what i'm making it, they're genuinely excited and so that's my strategy moving forward um and this is the first year i've really gotten to execute it because things are opening again so that's been my thing is really just getting out in front of people 
you know, people are more visual than they've ever been. Having, you know, a nice booth that looks good with artwork that pulls them in and then I can tell them about, you know, what I'm doing and hopefully grab their attention enough to, you know, pick up a $10 book. Perfect. Well, I appreciate you getting on with me today. Go ahead and tell everybody what your website is, what your social media handle is, and some of the dates. Um, you said Emerald City. Um, some of the dates of some of these cons that you're going to be attending um, so yeah. that people can get a hold of you. Awesome. Well, uh, you can find me on Instagram. It's uh, at Asher underscore novels, or you can, well, I'll hold this up too, or you can find me at uh, intercontpress.com. I don't know if my camera is good enough. I didn't invest in the in the good camera, but <laughs> if you look at basically it's like intercontinent but short. So intercontpress.com. That's my landing spot. It's got all my info, all my links, you know, or you can find me on Instagram at Asher underscore novels. Perfect. And well, then as far as the cons go, October 9th, I'll be at the Tacoma Convention Center for Great City Comic Show. And December 2nd through 5th, I will be at the uh, Seattle Convention Center for Emerald City Comic Con in the Seattle homegrown section. Perfect. Thank you very much. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Troy Podcast. Please subscribe, like, and share with your friends.